Now, we're going through Acts of the Apostles, and the schedule has given me three chapters today. <laughs> um, but it's loosely titled, Paul in Jerusalem. I'm going to read one of those chapters in just a moment. Reading it again and again this week, I ask questions, you know. And I wondered, number one, did Luke, who wrote Acts of the Apostles, ever suppose that this would become scripture? <laughs> I guess not. And secondly, why did he write it? I know that his theme in Acts of the Apostles is to demonstrate that what Jesus said about you will go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. He's explaining how that came, apart, came about. And so we see the progress of the good news of Jesus from Jerusalem out and amongst the Gentiles. And Acts of the Apostles ends with Paul in Rome, which as far as Luke's perspective of the world was concerned, was the centre of the Gentile world as he understood it. So it had gone from Jerusalem to Rome, where it could spread out and radiate out throughout the Gentile world. That's his theme. But he spends a lot of time on detail of Paul going to Jerusalem and ending up in Rome. And I just wondered why, because it's, from modern writing perspective, it's rather pedestrian. It's, it's, it's not angels and demons stuff, you know. Although they're in there. And I've concluded it's because he was a companion to Paul throughout these things. Because chapter 21, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed to Kos. So that Luke, who had often been a companion to Paul, was a companion to Paul through all his journeying to Jerusalem. Remained a companion to Paul during all the sufferings that he endured because he was allowed to have visitors and friends to deal with him, even though Paul was under arrest. And then when they set sail to go to Rome... Again, Luke says, when it was agreed that we should go to Rome, we set sail. So through all the struggles that Paul endured, Luke was a companion at hand. <clears throat> I find that quite moving. It's easy to be friends with people when everything's going well, isn't it? But to stand by them when politics and, and hypocrisy and lies and injustice are cramming them into a barrel, that's another thing, isn't it? To stand by them then. So it seems to me that this was a very precious time to Luke 
And I want to suggest that he wrote it because of the way Paul conducted himself. Remember writing to Timothy later on, Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That is an incredible statement to make. Now watch Paul as he goes through the things that befall him and decide for yourself whether this is Paul responding or Christ in Paul. Paul responding in a Christ-like way. After we had torn ourselves away from them, that's the farewell to the Ephesian elders, after we'd torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. Excuse me. (coughs) We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia and went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. And after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they went home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the believers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who, were prophesi- who prophesied. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus. Now this guy, Agabus, had form as a prophet. He had foretold a famine that was going to go across uh, the Judean world, which happened, uh, which, which, I forget which emperor it happened under, but it's reported that it happened. So this man has got form as an authentic prophet of God. The prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nassan, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the believers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us 
went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Sort of a touch of humour, at least to me here. The, the tense of the verb used there suggests that he went on and on and on. <laughs> Telling them all the things that God had done through him. <laughs> when they heard this, they praised God. And then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What should we do? They're certainly here that you've come. Um, So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there's no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we've written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So the next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. I'm just going to confess here I find this a difficult thing uh, because the law didn't save and yet he's submitting to this request. I don't understand it so I can't explain it. I just trust that Paul, because he had a clear conscience, knew why he was doing it and would explain it to me if I asked him. (laughs) When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, People of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and against their law and against this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city, with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut and while they were trying to kill him news reached the commander of the Roman troops and the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. The commander at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and rested him. Injustice abounds in this story. He's the one being beaten up. He's the one who gets arrested. My comment. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he'd done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another and since the commander couldn't get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great He had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Get rid of him! 
As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? And Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. And having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And you can read, Paul in Jerusalem goes on for two more chapters. You can read what he said. What happened is that he spoke to the crowd and he spoke to them in Hebrew. And they listened to him. But all he did in making a defence for himself was to remind them of his own story and testimony. Things which had taken place in Jerusalem which could be verified by the chief priests and the officers he once worked for and of the way that Christ had spoken to him on the way to Damascus. And the crowd listened to him intently up until he got to the point where in Jerusalem, in the temple... He had a vision of Christ who said, go now from this place, they won't receive your testimony. Now I am going to send you to the Gentiles. And at this point, the whole crowd erupted again in fury so that the centurion had to grab Paul away. Luke records that the centurion bound Paul with thongs, just as Agabus had predicted. And he was about to have him flogged so that he could find out the truth. Who is this guy? I can't work it out. How is it that he's causing such commotion? So he's going to have him flogged. But Paul uses a trump card which surprises us all. He was born in Tarsus. We know that what we probably don't know is, and I might have the year wrong, but I think it was in 66 BC, the residents of Tarsus who were born in the city were automatically granted Roman citizenship. Paul, the Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, of the strictest form of of Judaism who'd been taught under Gamaliel was also a Roman citizen. And he used his citizenship here now because no Roman citizen could be arrested without an accusation or reason. So however he eventually died, we know it wasn't crucifixion too because no Roman citizen could be crucified. When the tribune heard from the centurion, the centurion goes running to the tribune, hey, this guy's this guy a, a citizen of Rome. The tribune is now scared for his own life because now Paul could cause serious trouble for him. And he comes to Paul and he says, well, my citizenship cost me a lot of money. I bought my citizenship after long service, in effect, in the army. 
Ah, but I was born a citizen, says Paul. And from that point on, although Paul remains under arrest for all the rest of Acts of the Apostles, he is given certain liberties so that even at the end of Acts, we find he's in his own rented home. But when we read his letter to the Philippians, we discover he's under the constant guard of a soldier from the Praetorian Guard. So he was arrested from that point, but still had certain liberties, and his friends were able to come in and go out. We're told by Luke, I told you it's fairly pedestrian, we're told by Luke that the Tribune is really worried now, who is this guy? Why this nonsense? Why this uproar? So he arranges for Paul to face his accusers. So Paul now finds himself, at the request of the tribune, in the Sanhedrin, the Jewish parliament, where again he speaks his faith. And there's an uproar there, and he's taken away, because he says that he's on trial because he believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there were Sadducees in the parliament who didn't believe that. They were one, one theological wing. And the other theological wing did believe in that. So the two wings began fighting with each other. And he has to be withdrawn by the, the soldiers again and taken back to, into custody. At this point, a bunch of 40 zealot men vow together that they will not eat or drink until they have murdered Paul. And they determine to ask the tribune, sorry, we had a kerfuffle yesterday, could you bring Paul to us again so we can examine him more sensibly this time? The idea was that while he was on their way, on his way, these 40 men would form an ambush, attack and kill him. In the providences of God, Paul had a sister living, or was it a brother? Well, he had a nephew anyway, <laughs> living in Jerusalem, who somehow or another, through friendships and connections, got wind of this. And he went to the prison and he asked to see Paul who had him sent through the centurion to the tribune. And there's this touching thing where Paul says, the tribune took the young man by the hand and led him aside and said, now what is it, young man, you have to tell me? And the nephew told him of the plot and said, they're going to ask you to take Paul down there again, but 40 men are lying in wait to kill Paul. Don't go there with him. Now this is extraordinary because then the tribune decides that he's going to send Paul, this Roman citizen, to a place of safety. So that night, same night, starting nine o'clock in the evening, Paul is given a horse and 70 other horsemen and 200 spearmen and 200 other soldiers. And he's taken from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And so his time in Jerusalem ends. But he's never not in custody from that time on to the end of the Acts of the Apostles.
So that's the story so far. Paul in Jerusalem. It is full of conniving. Even even the tribune. Remember the tribune who was going to have Paul flogged to find out who he was? And then afterwards sort sort of backtracked so speedily because he discovers that Paul was a Roman citizen. In his letter to Felix... Uh, the governor in Caesar, he says, oh, this man, wasn't a, this man uh, was, was not accused of anything that I could make out. And when I discovered he was a Roman citizen, I decided to send him to you for his own safety. Everybody's covering their own back in this story, or making up stories, or being politically inclined to be a bully or a murderer. It's, it's a terrible story. And Paul is in the middle of it. So here's another question. Was Paul an obstinate so-and-so? I think Pete asked this question this week. Was Paul just being obstinate in ignoring all the signs that the Holy Spirit gave him along the way? Even in Ephesus, saying goodbye to the elders, he says... I go to Jerusalem bound by the Spirit. And in every place, and here's something for us to think about, how did the church hear God? But in every place he went, they warned him that difficulties awaited him when he got to Jerusalem. In every place, there were people so open to the Spirit of God that they could hear and warn. We don't see much of that these days, do we? And we probably think that anybody who spoke up like that was a little bit off the wall. Perhaps we've lost something. But back to the question, was Paul just being obstinate? To find some of these answers, we have to go to other places in the Bible. Before he went to Rome, before he went to Jerusalem, he wrote to Rome... I'm assuming it is before because he says I plan to come and see you so when I go to Spain I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now however I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Archaea were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. So how was it that was Paul was bound by the Spirit? He'd received contributions from the churches throughout Macedonia and Greece for the poor of Jerusalem. And he was duty-bound before God to make certain that it was delivered, come bandit, come whatever. And so he went to Jerusalem in spite of all the warnings of the difficulties that would face him, because he carried with him a gift from the Gentile brethren 
to the Jewish brethren. And so he went and he knew what he was in for. It won't have surprised him when he was arrested because he's been warned. But now then, consider his attitude. I'm astonished by Paul as I read this. There is this terrible riot in Jerusalem which is founded on lies and suspicion and prejudice and perhaps racism because Paul went to the Gentiles. All these things combined and we read of Paul being beaten up by this crowd, rushed out of the temple, the temple gates closed, we don't want to have anything to do with this, and outside the gates... In the public streets, this crowd, the words that Luke uses are trying to kill him. Okay? Now then, I can't imagine that by the time the soldiers arrived, he didn't have a bruise on him. My guess is that crowds being what they're like in that state. He's been kicked and thumped and smashed and rolled around and dug and turned over again and again. He's become like a doll in the hands of the crowd. So before he's taken into the safety of the prison place, he asks to speak to the crowd. It's even more remarkable to me that the soldier allowed him to. It's even more remarkable to me that when he stood on the steps and signalled to speak, a great hush came over them. There's something of a Holy Spirit hush about that to me. I don't see rioting, angry killer crowds automatically becoming silent to listen to the person they want to get rid of. There's something of the Holy Spirit at work there. And then when he speaks in Hebrew to them, there's a deeper hush still according to Luke. And then what does he say? We know what he thinks of Jewish Jews because he said it in that former letter to the Romans. My heart's desire, my longing is for my fellow countrymen to know the truth of Jesus Christ. But they are a people zealous for God. But it's, they seek a righteousness of their own. They refuse the righteousness that comes by faith through Jesus. So this is his view based upon what he was like himself. But when he speaks to these people, bleeding, hurting, does he say, you hypocritical lot, you wretched people, you crucifiers of Jesus. None of that is said. 
what he says is, I recognize your zeal for God this day. Isn't that an extraordinary thing to say? You have a zeal for God like the zeal that I once had. When I went around persecuting this way, throwing men and women into prison, and even went to Damascus with letters from the high priest to put people in prison there and bring them back. You have a zeal for God this day, just like I used to have. And instead of condemning them, he identifies with this people. And then he simply gives them his testimony again. And it's up to the point where he mentions God sent him to the Gentiles. They listen intently. But as soon as he mentions the Gentiles, all their prejudice and other instincts, bad instincts, rise to the surface and the soldiers have to rush Paul away. But in preaching the good news, even at that point, there was no condemnation in his preaching. There was only understanding in his heart because he'd done exactly the same as that bit previously as they had done to him that day. And God had rescued him and he still longed for those people that they should understand the good news of Jesus. Be imitators of me, he said, as I am of Christ. I see that time has gone and there's a number of other things I want you to say. I'll just say one of them. Reading this through again and again, it strikes me that up until the time he is arrested, although Paul has been under, has been obedient and responsive to the Holy Spirit, to the best of his ability, throughout his apostleship. So that he wouldn't say he was his own man making his own decisions. He would always say that he's seeking to follow what the Lord has told him to do. He wanted to go at one time into Bithynia, remember, and the Lord said no, and he ended up in Macedonia instead. So that he would never call himself a free man, I can do what I like. He would call call himself a man under the orders of the Lord Jesus Christ. But still he would call himself a free man under Christ. From the moment he's arrested until the end of the book of Acts, he's no longer a free man. And most of the places that he goes, and most of the things that happen to him, are the result of other people's decisions or plots. Politics. He finds himself no longer able to do just what the Holy Spirit says. He now has to do what the Roman soldier says, what the, what the tribune says, what, the, what the, the governor of the province says. If you read these chapters carefully, it's amazing, though, how he kept his own soul in those circumstances. He did have 
a certain measure of freedom, as we said. Friends could visit him. When he was in Rome, he was under house arrest. But he didn't have his old freedom of movements. But within the circumstances where he was, he always brought, he always held himself as a servant of Jesus and looked to Jesus. And it's amazing how many times, even in his captivity, by seeking Jesus, he brings good or is a medium for good in circumstances he didn't choose to be in. And that's Christ-like. Always he's looking to Jesus. It's as if he's saying, I didn't choose to be here, Lord. You told me I'd be here. You are sovereign. I'm still in your hands, even though I'm in these people's hands. I want you to have your way with me in these adverse circumstances. Let me still be your minister, your servant, your, your mouthpiece, your example. At the end of it, I will stop now. I just wanted to leave that point with you. Because most of us, much of the time, find ourselves in circumstances we didn't choose. In the workplace, in the family circumstances, in our health, in all kinds of things. We find ourselves in places we did not elect and would not have chosen. But in those places we still belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's in those places with us. And it's possible to bring his life and goodness into those places which we didn't choose. In actual fact, maybe that's precisely why he put us there. Allowed it in his sovereign will. Paul goes through an awful lot of stuff, more. But then, after he's... He wrote to Rome before he went to Jerusalem. After he got to Jerusalem, he wrote to the Philippians. And he writes this. This is Philippians 1, 12 and 13. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. (laughs) As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That's after all these struggles and things, he says that. It's a bit like Joseph, who said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, 
God meant it for good. And when Joseph said it, he said, So then, he reassured them and said, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and the saving of many lives. Paul was expecting to go to Rome. Jesus got him there. He was hoping to go to Spain. We have no sense that he did. It's believed that he was beheaded. We're certain that he spoke to the emperor because he got to Rome by appealing to the emperor to avoid the plots of the Jews. So he was able to maintain his testimony right up into the highest throne of secular power within the Roman Empire. And while he was awaiting that trial, he was under that house arrest in Rome. And one of the jobs of the Praetorian Guard, if you've seen Gladiator, Praetorian Guard are the ones in black. One of the tasks of the Praetorian Guard was to guard prisoners awaiting trial. Paul says, as a result it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Isn't that amazing? There were probably about nine cohorts of Praetorian troops and a cohort was one of 500 men. A good many of them probably ended up in Valencia in Spain later on but who knows. The thing is that Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles and had access to the people who in Roman politics, the Praetorian Guard, became extremely significant in the years that followed. And who knows how that might have affected some of them. So what are your circumstances? I hope they're good. If they turn sour, don't imagine that God doesn't know. And if they seem at times unbearable because it feels like you've been beaten up, it doesn't mean you're too weak for the Holy Spirit to minister through you. And it doesn't mean that God's purposes for you have gone out the window. It may well mean that you look back in 10 years' time and say, Oh, God meant that for good. Thank you, Lord.